Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the IT News Podcast. Our guest this week is Hamish Cameron, the Executive Director of Information Systems and Technology at South Australia Police. Hamish was a previous guest of the podcast when he outlined his ambitions for a mobile workforce transformation program, equipping 6,000 sworn and non-sworn staff with a smartphone. Almost two years on, they're now in live pilot, and Hamish returns to talk device choice, applications, and their user experience efforts. We also discuss ISNT's efforts to transform its own operations, so as to move from a service provider to a trusted advisor and influencer model on technology matters. We hope you enjoy the conversation. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about the ISNT operations at South Australia Police and maybe just talk a little bit in terms of the size of the team or its structure. Yeah, no problem. And thanks for having me on the podcast. So South Australia Police has approximately 6,000 staff overall. For context, just under 5,000 of those are sworn police officers and the remainder are back office civilian staff. Some are in specialised areas and others are in more traditional support roles like IT and finance. The Information Systems and Technology Service has roughly about 300 staff if you include contractors. So it's a fairly large IT operation. And that includes anything from sort of standard technology fare that you would expect in a large corporate organization, like supporting computers and networks and a service desk, those types of things, all the way through to running large portfolios and programs of work and even specialised police equipment, think ARCO testers and the like. So we do a fairly large spread from traditional through to more specialised technology requirements. Are there sworn officers that sit within ISNT? Is it all back office and contract staff? We do have some sworn police officers in leadership roles here, as well as throughout roles in projects, think change management and subject matter experts to inform the solutions that we're building. So we have a hybrid team. We also have a business support unit, which is made up of mostly sworn police officers, and they can help 24 hours a day on some operational equipment, as well as some of our big policing information systems. And having the sworn officers in there obviously is a good thing for, as you talked about there, sort of, I guess, user experience and the translation of requirements for in-field operational use, I guess. Are there other advantages to having that kind of structure? I think it's very difficult to really understand the size and scale and complexity of policing and law enforcement until you jump into it. And having the lived experience of police officers and all of them, even the commissioners, has come through as a cadet. So they all have very much grassroots experience the whole way through. And having either senior police officers or even more junior police officers who have more recent experience on the ground is incredibly useful for people who have not worked in that kind of environment. So yes, I think it's needed and they can help us build better solutions. So across the areas that you oversee, and I believe that's quite broad, so things like security and architecture, infrastructure, communications, maintenance, you mentioned they'd use a computing in there as well. Across all of those spectrum of different IT domains, what are the kind of ones that are really taking up a lot of your time and your mindset at the moment? 
Good question. I think if I was to put a finger on the growing areas, cybersecurity is absolutely going gangbusters in terms of how much time it's taking. We hold probably some of the state's most sensitive information, information that really do not want out in the public domain. And there are potentially lots of bad actors that really want access to that information. Protecting it is essential and we are obviously very focused on building the maturity of our cyber posture. So that's definitely one of them. The other one is just our general portfolio of projects. We have a very large number of projects that are in flight from very large projects like a mobile workforce program through to more remedial projects, but ensuring that we have the project delivery skills and staff on board to be able to deliver the large reform efforts is also very, very challenging in the current IT market. Just at a high level, can you talk a little bit about what South Australia Police's IS&T strategy looks like? Are there certain key pillars that you're working towards? It'd be interesting to know, I guess, how the different programs work. So you mentioned there's a quite large body of work, including mobile transformation and also some remedial stuff, how that aligns to some of the sort of strategic pillars. Yeah, sure. So going back in early 2022, we launched our digital strategy, which is aligned to our SAPOL 2030 Safer Communities strategy. If I was to sort of capture the nub and the heart of what we're trying to do as a technology function, I want to move us from being more of a service provider towards a trusted advisor and influencer for the business because technology is becoming so, so fundamental to almost everything in policing as well as in the community. That's at a high level. In terms of what are the programs of work that are in flight at the moment, I mentioned our mobile workforce program and going back a couple of years, I was on the podcast to talk about what the aspirations of that program were. And we're now very much into the delivery side of that. So that's around putting a mobile phone as the primary computing device for all employees of South Australia Police. And we've launched our first phase of that in November last year. And that's basically had around 300 frontline police officers get a mobile phone, those that didn't have access to mobile capabilities previously, and that enabled them to access a suite of capabilities that they'd never been able to access before. Our next phase for that is a much broader rollout, and we'll be tapping into the market in the not-too-distant future to shape that up and get into a faster delivery. We also have a raft of other more traditional large systems that we need to either replace or transform. We've been on our road to replacing our core records management system, which is our program Shield, which has been going for approximately 10 years now. And we're into the final stages of that. We also are replacing our expiation notice system, which is again a mainframe based system and our firearms register system as well. And there's also a large number of other projects that we have in flight at the moment. You mentioned the digital transformation strategy, which you kicked off at the start of last year. And you mentioned one of the overarching goals is to move from a sort of service provider model to a trusted advisor model. Can you maybe just give us a sense of what is involved in creating that organizational uplift for ISNT and what actions you might be able to take to affect that change over time? Yes, absolutely. Good question, actually. 
it's easy to say um, and it's much easier to actually execute. One of the things that I did when I joined SAPOL going back a few years was undertake a thorough current state assessment of how IS&T was performing. And it was a sort of fairly frank assessment of how we're going. And that helped inform, I guess, the capabilities and the maturity across some of these capabilities and what areas I should focus on as a leader within IS&T. And I kicked off an internal inward-focused transformation program, which was designed to uplift the capabilities of IS&T so we could actually realize that digital strategy. Because if you don't actually focus on the internal works of the IT organization, you can't expect it to transition from a service provider to a trusted advisor. So this transformation program has been going on for about two years now. And each year we do a maturity assessment. Myself and my leadership team undertake that frank assessment of where we're at across the different domains. And then we focus on the areas for the next 12 months. We also get measurements through a net promoter score. So we actually ask our customers within South Australia Police how we're going. And that is a sort of validation of whether we're moving at the right pace and getting closer to that aspiration of being a trusted advisor. Have you got a particular example maybe of where you are seeing validation that the direction that you've set is getting you closer to that goal? Yeah, so I'll give you one specific example of one of the areas of focus that the transformation program narrowed in on was portfolio and project management. So we established a PMO. We've gone down the path over the last two to three years of maturing that capability, and we have gained significant credibility within the department around our ability to execute on projects and programs of work. So that feedback has been in the form of successfully delivering projects and being more transparent in the realization of benefits for those projects. I imagine uplift in that area would help you in other aspects of measurement as well. PPM is an area that would often, I guess, be looked at by external auditors and by government auditors as well. Absolutely. And we've helped inform, I guess, an overarching organizational benefits management framework, which is, again, helping cement our aspiration of being that trusted advisor. Speaking of aspirations, let's talk about the mobile workforce transformation. And sort of, as you mentioned, when you appeared on the podcast in mid-2021, you explained a lot of the program and it might be useful just to explain a little bit of backstory just in case listeners Mm. this time haven't necessarily come across the specific project. But it will be useful to know how some of those aspirations that you described at the time, putting a personal device into the hands of every sworn and non-sworn staffer have translated to reality. Actually, it's probably worth me explaining what we've had in the past. So we've had a mixed fare of PCs, laptops, and ruggedized tablets, which are typically deployed into police patrol vehicles. And you would imagine they are Windows-based computers and are not a one-to-one relationship with an officer. So you could have two police officers in a patrol car and you only have one device that's if that patrol vehicle actually has a ruggedized tablet. So one of the things that we've been very interested in doing is moving towards what the industry is moving towards, which is mobile devices, mobile phones, 
and deploying them into the hands of every single person within South Australia Police. So that was the starting point. We did a proof of concept. We proved that it could work. We were able to secure funding from the government to undertake this work. And like many of these large programs, it's never as simple (laughs) as you're able to describe. And there was a lot of work in planning that was required for us to be able to get to the point where we could deliver a functional pilot for the 300 police officers going back in in November. We've learnt a lot in that period of time. We've even learnt some things which we really were quite surprised at. Just the fact that a police officer could have a mobile phone which is not theirs and they can issue that phone number out to a victim, for example, that the likelihood that the victim is actually able to connect with the police officer means that we've seen certain cases get closed really, really quickly. Investigations wrap up much faster than they would if they were having to track them down through police stations where they're only there at the beginning, at the end of shifts. So that's just one little side effect where we just weren't expecting it. So where are we at now? I'd love to be further down the track than where we are, but we also, circling back to the cybersecurity point, we have to be very, very careful about how we deploy applications and information to portable devices. So we've locked the phones down at this point and are only issuing organisational applications and policies to the phones. I know other jurisdictions have a different model to that, but at this stage, that's what we're doing. And we're really looking to ramp that up and start delivering in the order of thousands of phones over the next period of time to get this project going. Now, can you maybe talk a little bit about the device choice that you've made in this, maybe just for the trial? I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've made the device choice as an ongoing basis. And also talk a little bit about the applications that you've loaded on there and the user experience that you've really aimed for as part of the trial. Sure. So for phase one, we selected the Samsung S22. So there's really two phones that are able to pass the FedGov protected level configuration, and that's the iPhone and the flagship Samsung. We went with the Samsung after some testing and have rolled that out for phase one. No choice has been made for the broader rollout. In terms of what applications we've been able to roll out, we haven't concluded rolling out all the different capabilities for phase one, but we do have the ability for police officers to access internal intelligence briefings. So they're able to access that for their particular district or area. They can also issue an electronic expiation notice through our e-ticketing capabilities. And we're also able to access some of the digital forms and workflows that they can do without needing to go back to the office to fill in forms. The next couple of months, we'll be deploying computer-aided dispatch, so the ability for taskings at an officer level, as well as the ability for our communication centre to be able to see the officer on a map at any particular time, which obviously has some good benefits for officer safety. And then we'll also be deploying an amalgamated search function, which means that they're able to confirm someone's identity across both uh, internal information systems as well as the national information systems. How would dispatch beef done now? Is it radio for officers that are not necessarily in a car? Yes, spot on. So at the moment for foot patrols or any other derivative of that, 
and they don't have access to a mobile ruggedized tablet, and that includes a motorcycle, police, dog operations, that kind of thing, they would be using radio only. And that is a challenge for our communication center because they're unable to see where they are. And it also means that for things like cordons and high-risk situations, we don't have eyes on to be able to actually understand where our resources are deployed. Okay, and so the addition as well of geolocation will greatly assist in that as well, I imagine. Definitely. In terms of the 300 officers that are taking part in the trial, are they from across a broad spectrum or are they all frontline? How did you select the trial cohort? We went through a process of prioritising the different cohorts. In terms of who's in the, I won't go into specifics, but we selected a cross-section of areas in Adelaide CBD because they were the predominant number of foot patrols. We also chose a semi-regional area as well to get some insight comparison between a more CBD area versus a regional area. And we also deployed it to all motorcycle police because they have a disproportionate number of expiation notice issued because that's a major part of their job around road safety. So it's quite a large cross-section of frontline police because we saw that there would be the most benefit in deploying it to that cohort first. I imagine the expiation example would be a particularly valuable one internally for the project as well, because it's a safety issue for an officer moving between a car and their own vehicle, for example, to access a more fixed device like a ruggedized tablet. Yeah, we've had some really good positive feedback on that particular application. It also, from an efficiency perspective, is good, but also effectiveness because previously they would have to potentially handwrite an expiation notice, which would then have to be translated into our back office system, and that could have errors and other issues. So it's just a much better outcome for the frontline officers. So the officers that would be used to using like a ruggedized tablet or having a shared device, are you going to replicate that experience basically? Obviously, it's a different operating system, but you're mm. going to try and replicate that experience as much as possible onto the new device, or are you taking an opportunity to really change the way that the look and feel of those particular applications was in a mobile setting? I think to begin with, and especially with our phase one trial or pilot, really we are just trying to get the capability into the hands of the front line. In parallel, we are working on our user experience stream of work because over time you don't want a significant number of different look and feel applications and having to make the staff member really think what application they need to use in what particular context. So there is a lot of consideration being given to how we design and deliver a seamless experience. In some cases, that may not be that easy to do because of some legacy applications we have, but there are some fairly novel ways where you can present information and also capture information without needing to expose some of that legacy interface. So that's a long way of saying in the interim, we are getting the capability out there however we can, but we're also working hard and in parallel to deliver a longer term, more seamless outcome. So obviously phase one is underway. What's the trigger point, I guess, for a move to a further phase or a future phase? And if you could just maybe explain a little bit about the sort of remaining roadmap, because it always started as a multi-year journey. So mm. it'd be useful just to understand the cadence of that. 
So there'll be some overlap between this particular phase as we're still rolling out the computer-aided dispatch and search capabilities, which will really bolster up the value proposition for this particular group of people. And we are also going out to market in the not too distant future, looking at a range of capabilities for us to be able to deliver on the remainder of the roadmap. In terms of timing of that, this year will be a fairly significant year in terms of us really fine tuning the technical deliverables for the program and starting to ramp up vendor relationships and choices that we need to make to be able to deliver on the remainder of the program. I won't go into the specific in terms of how many phones by when, because that's still under discussion. But I suspect by the end of this year, we'll have a really clear picture of how long it will take us to deliver on the entire program. And that's sort of inclusive of some of the longer term strategies like we were just talking about in terms of user interface and accessibility of these applications. And just a final question, what excites you about the next 12 months? Oh, there are lots of things that excite me about the next 12 months. I think the opportunity that we have in ISNT to deliver for South Australia Police and the Safer Community strategy is incredible. We've got some large programs of work. Mobile Workforce Program was spoken about Program Shield, which is coming to the pointy end now, which will just be fantastic to get to the end of. But we also have, I guess, some fairly transformative technology industry changes that are happening. If you think about digital evidence and the importance of digital evidence in law enforcement and how that's continuing to change. We've seen generative AI playing a role and getting a lot of excitement and how we could apply that in a law enforcement context. That may not be a 12 month proposition, but I think us exploring how it could be used in the next 12 months is definitely exciting. So there's plenty going on here and I'm very excited by it. That was Hamish Cameron from South Australia Police. And that's the podcast for this week. We'll be back with an exciting new interview next week. Until then, you can catch all the latest headlines in Australian IT over at itnews.com.au.